Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. me none so this oh thank you for the two that laughed I rehearsed that for a while yeah so uh, my name's Eleanor it's a privilege to be here this morning that song uh, actually became famous not through sister act and through a group of nuns performing it in front of the Pope in the movie the Hollywood movie singing it to God it actually started as a love song that a, a lady wrote Uh, of devotion to the man of her dreams, that I will follow you, follow you no matter where you go. There isn't a mountain too high, a valley too deep, hence why I'm not married, because I will not follow someone like that. (laughs) But, uh, you know, this is definitely a song that uh, I would like to think is a song of devotion to God. And I can Picture the disciples when Jesus said, come, follow me. I can just picture Peter, you know, throwing down his nets. I will follow you, follow you wherever you may go. Thank you. Yeah, I had to, I mean, I had to, I had to go into song. But I would like to think that I was always like that when I got saved many, many years ago. But I quickly realized that... uh, My song would actually be something like, I'll burst into song again, I will follow you, follow you wherever you may go, as long as it's what I want to do, as long as it's where I want to go, I will follow. (laughs) I picture, I have what I picture as select uh, obedience, select motivation to follow God If it's things I don't want to do or places I don't want to go, then that's unfortunately, disappointingly, me at times. And it reminds me of my pet dog. A couple of years ago, her pick... Oh, isn't she cute? Isn't she cute? This is my pet dog, Brandy. And Brandy, honestly, this could be her anthem. I will follow you, follow you to the bathroom, follow you to the bedroom, follow you to the laundry. As a matter of fact, if I close the door to go to the bathroom for some privacy, she will scratch at the door and start crying. And if I, you know, if I go out to the garage and I'm gone for five minutes, I come back and she's like all over me, like, I haven't seen you for six years. I love you. Where have you been? She is absolutely, I 
will follow you. Do, do any of you have dogs like that? Yeah. Cats, they don't care. But dogs, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. And uh, until I take her, you know where I'm going, until I take her to the off-leash dog park, then it becomes, Brandy, come. She looks at me and she just runs in the opposite direction. No way is she going to follow me. She has very much what I call uh, select obedience. And this morning, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about something that I think we all can relate to, that we will follow God sometimes, that we will follow God not at times, that there are times that we really, there's something in us that just doesn't want to do what we feel God may be saying or, or, or calling us to. And I want to talk this morning about someone in the Bible who very much suffered from this, I will follow you not. When God came and spoke to him, he actually ran in the opposite direction. Can you think of who I'm thinking of? Jonah. How many of you are familiar with the book of Jonah, and the first thing that comes to mind is Jonah and the whale, or Jonah and the fish. How many of you have that picture? Yeah? Tim Mackey, the creator of the Bible Project, he, he puts it this way. He, he said, many people, when they think of the book of Jonah, they think of the VeggieTale version of Jonah and a whale. But as I prepared for this sermon, do you know that the whale, or the fish, is only referred to in two sentences in the whole book of Jonah. And actually, this morning, what I want to do is I want to unpack this veggie tale version, which a lot of us have, of Jonah and the whale, and I want to look at what is it that God is trying to show us through the story of Jonah, because it's far more deep, it's far more rich than what I believe many of us fully understand. And so would you join me as we pray this morning? Father, we thank you that you are in this place. Father, we've come this morning to meet with you. And Father, we ask this morning, would you open our eyes that we would perceive you this morning? Father, would you touch our minds that this morning we would believe you? And Father, would you open our hearts to receive you this morning? Thank you that you are in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to begin this morning by talking about what I believe is the primary purpose of the book of Jonah. And I really know that in the book of Jonah, the author is wanting to reveal to us God's heart of love God's heart of mercy, God's heart of forgiveness, and in showing us God's heart through the story of Jonah, he actually, the author, is wanting to reveal how our hearts, his followers, are often very opposite to the heart of God. And so the book of Jonah begins, we're told, with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah to go to his enemies, the Ninevites, and that God tells Jonah to go essentially as a missionary, now as a missions pastor, naturally I'm going to bring missionaries into this sermon, to go as a missionary to the Ninevites. And what the story unfolds is how it does not bode well with Jonah's following after God. 
And we see the author use Jonah as an archetype, as a, as a representative of God's people. And how at times, instead of following after God, I will follow you, not. Instead of following after God, how very often we tend to follow our own hearts and our own agenda in the things that we choose to be obedient with. And how often our feet follow our heart and not God's heart. So let's unpack this. So what do we know about Jonah? We know that Jonah was a historical figure. Approximately 750 years after Jonah, Jesus comes on the scene and Gina, uh, Gina, Jesus refers to Jonah. Have a look at Matthew chapter 12. So here is Jesus confronted by the Pharisees. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so the, the teachers of the law, the, the Pharisees are saying, we want a sign, prove to us that you are the Messiah. And Jesus refers to Jonah and his three days and three nights in a, in a whale's stomach. Now, I can't imagine that was too comfortable a, a gig. But he uses Jonah as a precursor or a prefigure of Jesus' own resurrection of his three days and three nights. So we know he was historical, but we also know from what Jesus said, he was a prophet. And for someone to be called a prophet, a prophet, minor prophet, a major prophet, in the Old Testament, prophets were people who were known to have received the word of the Lord and they were to bring a message a divine message to the listeners of that day. And so Jonah begins in chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. So let's stop right there. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. We're not told what the word is necessarily. We're not told how it came, in what form it came, all we're told is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And what was the word of the Lord? Verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah's told to go to Nineveh, the Assyrian capital. Why? To preach against it because of its wickedness. And in verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. 
So let's, uh, I've got a map here. Let's try and wrap our heads around it. Here's Jonah. He's in Jerusalem. The word of the Lord, all we're told, it comes to him. So what does he do? He heads down to modern-day Tel Aviv in Israel. He looks for a ship bound for Tarshish, which is southern Spain, as far, as far away as he could get. Instead of going to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, which is modern-day Mosul in Iraq. So the map shows us, instead of going to Nineveh, he's heads in the very opposite direction. He runs away. And even though he has this divine message, this word of the Lord, he heads in the opposite direction. He's a great future gateway beyond worker. I want to sign him up as one of our beyond workers. I don't think so. What's so ironic about Jonah, though, what we need to understand, he obviously was a man of God. He knew the scriptures. He knew the Psalms. As a matter of fact, in, Psalm two, in uh, Jonah chapter 2, he extensively quotes the Psalms. So Jonah knew, for example, David's Psalm, a Psalm many of us are familiar with, where can I go from your spirit, David writes. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I go to the depths, you are there. If I go to the far side of the seas. If, in other words, where can I flee from your presence? Jonah would have been familiar with that psalm. And yet, think about it. Here is Jonah trying to get on a boat to escape the presence of God. This God who can't be escaped from, there's nowhere that Jonah could run from him. Yet we see Jonah trying. And can you relate to that this morning? I know I can. There are times, even though I know God sees everything, there's nothing hidden from God. There's nowhere that I can escape to get away from God. I still try. The times where I think, oh, well, nobody's around, no one can see, but God sees because God is there. And how often... Even in my own life, in my own walk with the Lord, do I avoid, do I ignore the times the Spirit is prompting me? When God is telling me to step out in something, go and talk to that person, pray for that person. I'm in a prayer meeting and I sense God's calling me to, to pray a scripture in the prayer meeting or to literally, God forbid, sing a song. The number of prayer meetings I've been in and I feel I'm supposed to do something. And so I go, all right, I love you, Lord. And I expect the group of prayers to join in and I live crickets. I end up in a solo. It's like karaoke nightmare. And I'm just having to sing and nobody's joining in. And I'm like, well, I've got to keep going. It's too late. I've dug a hole. I've got to keep going with it. Open up ground and swallow me. But the number of times I avoid at all costs responding to God's promptings, responding to the, the times to pray for people or to talk to people, never mind jumping on a, uh, you know, going to uh, Nineveh, this Assyrian capital, and preaching a message against them. You know, what do we know about Nineveh? 
What does the scriptures tell us? We know that Nineveh is a large city and it had a number of inhabitants. It actually says 120,000, which doesn't sound so big in today's world when we think of a city. But we know in Jonah uh, chapter 3, it says, Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Three days. Now, I'm from Mareeba in far north Queensland. It takes three seconds. You blink, you're on the other side of town. But I lived in Mumbai, India, Bombay. And let me tell you, three days ain't long enough. It took me that long in my car to get from one side of the city to the other. A big city. And what we know about the Assyrians, the capital Ninevite, is they were the superpower of that era. They were the ones who oppressed and dominated the nations around them. And they were known to be bloodthirsty and really, really violent. They used to supposedly skin their people that they viewed as a threat. Enemies, they would literally skin them alive. Think about it, skinning them alive. And they would hang the skins on the city gates and the city walls as a deterrent to any of the enemies, any that they felt threatened them. So they were Israel's enemies. Israelis hated the Assyrians. They hated their captives. They hated those people that oppressed them. And yet here is God calling Jonah to go and to warn them. He doesn't say, Jonah, pray for the, uh, your oppressors, pray for the Assyrians and the Ninevites. He doesn't say, Jonah, write a letter to them and send them a message. He says, Jonah, go and tell them this message. And what goes on in Jonah's heart that he jumps up and straight away heads in the opposite direction? Now, I've often thought, well, hello, skinning people alive, uh, wicked city, People I don't like, probably Jonah was scared. I think I'd be scared. Perhaps Jonah was fearful. I mean, Assyria, Ninevite would have been a hard city to reach. It would have been a hard nation to speak against. It reminds me of today in, in missions, there's what's called the hard nations. They're the unreached nations, places like North Korea, places like Iraq and Iran, places, even China to that extent, are what we call in mythological terms the hard nations because they have anti-conversion laws where you can be jailed and arrested. Now, for many years, I lived and worked in Asia. I was based in South Asia, India and Nepal. And they had anti-conversion laws. The state I lived in, Maharashtra, in Mumbai, had a, a seven-year jail term. If you were found to be proselytizing and converting people from their faith. And I know the very real fear of police, and I've had it several times, knocking on my door, secret police and the police, there's different types of police, questioning me as to what I was doing in that nation. And I know the fear, my heart beating a thousand times. I even worked a few times up in China, training our missionaries that were working in China. I worked with Youth with a Mission or YWAM. 
And so we ran training workshops for our missionaries in China. We had 80 at one workshop. We had over 100 at another workshop, all underground in a car basement. We have to go in two by two not to attract any attention. And I remember the Chinese workers saying, if the police come, run. And I said, yeah, fine for you guys. You're going to like scatter like cockroaches, but I'll be like, ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. I said, they're going to get me first of everyone. And they said, well, at least you'll be a deterrent for the rest of us to get away. <laughs> I know the fear. And yet some of my workers in China, they were arrested. They, this is a true story. They were taken in for interrogation in China. And in the interrogation, three days they were held, my name came up by the Chinese authorities as to what my role was in YWAM and in China. And when they deported the workers, they, kicked, they blacklisted them, they kicked them out of China, they were foreign workers, they went across the border into Thailand. And the first thing they did, this is only three years ago, just before I started at Gateway, they rang me from Thailand and they said, Eleanor, we need to warn you, do not go to China they have your name, you will be arrested. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh. And ever since, these last few years, I don't go to China, I don't want to go to Hong Kong, I don't want to go to Taiwan. I tell you, I barely can go into a Chinese restaurant without breaking into a sweat because of fear. I know fear, but it's nothing compared to two friends of mine, two YWAMers, one of them, Dan Bauman, his book's going to come up. He was working with Youth with a Mission in Iran, and he was arrested, and he was thrown into solitary confinement for several months, and he was abused, he was tortured, and eventually he was released. And another friend of mine, this is nothing compared to what these, I tell you, I, I wish I could write a book, you know, I'd get uh, good support then, but I don't want to go through what these guys went through. Another friend of mine, Kenneth Bay, some of you may remember his story. He wrote the book Not Forgotten. Another YWAMer, he was a South Korean based in, in uh, China, but he went into North Korea with different teams. He was arrested in 2013. He was arrested for espionage and spying. He was sentenced to 15 years hard labor in a North Korean labor camp. These are true stories. Kenneth lost something like 45 kilos. He was sick. He, he was, he, he, this story, if you get a chance to read it, the abuse he went through, yet all the time he knew he was not forgotten. He was eventually released after 20 months. These guys knew what it was to face the hard places. They knew what it was to go to places like Nineveh and to preach a message. I think they knew genuine fear. And, you know, in many ways, I know even here in Gateway, I've, I've talked to people who, who have a sense that God is calling them to step out, even on something like a short-term team. Or they have a sense that they are to go to a, a hard place, but they are fearful. They're, they're scared of the unknown. They're scared of what's going to happen. What if I get sick? Uh, Nikki and I are on a team. We're heading to Jordan in, in, in another few more weeks' time. 
with a, with a short-term team from Gateway. And uh, there was somebody even on the team who said, I'm really scared I'm going to get sick while I'm away. There are many of us that are held back, that are paralyzed because of fear. And so what ends up happening is we end up doing nothing. I don't believe fear is what stopped Jonah from going to the Ninevites. So could it be that, that Jonah just simply didn't want to do what God called him to? Maybe it wasn't fear. Maybe Jonah, just like you and I, there are times we just don't want to do what we think we should do. We know it's, you know, something that maybe God's calling us to. Maybe the reason is because we don't, uh, we just want to keep doing what we enjoy. We don't want to do what God's calling us to. Maybe we're comfortable and we don't trust that God really is this good God that we're told about. We don't trust that, that God's plans for us, for a hope and a future, that they're really real. We think somehow, yeah, yeah, no, it's better that I, I know the plans I have for myself. Because I don't really think God's got my best interests in heart. I think for some of us, our concept of God may be like he's the boss, and he likes to take away all the fun things from us so that, you know, life is really sucky and boring. And that somehow, again, God's goodness equates to, you know, me trying to get Brandy to leave the dog park. We're too happy and God's just going to make us stop doing what we want to do. And I think for some of us, we don't like being told what to do. We don't like not having control of our own lives. And maybe you can relate to some of that today. Maybe for some of you, you're comfortable in your faith. It's comfortable to come to Gateway City and, and sit in the pews and, and go home and our nice houses and, and our cars and our nice comfortable lives. And, and, and life is just comfortable. We don't need our faith to be stretched to actually step out and, and maybe go somewhere or do something because life is busy, life is full. And so maybe for some of us, our faith becomes very convenient to our needs and our wants. And so I wonder if that's what caused Jonah to flee in the opposite direction when the word of the Lord came to him. Well, let's have a look. Where Jonah flees to Tarshish, we know that the story goes on. A big storm comes, the sailors end up throwing him overboard because they realize he's the cause of the big storm while he's on the boat to Tarshish. A whale comes along, swallows Jonah, and after three days, spits him back out onto dry ground. Can you imagine that yucky, sticky feeling? And then we're told in Jonah chapter 3, again, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And so what was this message? It's a mighty, powerful, one of the greatest sermons ever written. It was eight words. And this is what it was. Jonah chapter 3, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's his sermon. 40 more days and Nineveh, Nineveh will be overthrown. Talk about giving the bare bones of a message. I mean, he did the littlest, I can just picture him, you know, like, 
40 more days. Like he's going to do the, the least amount. It has to be the worst sermon I have ever heard. It would certainly make our sermons a lot shorter here at Gateway. Maybe I should teach this to Andrew. Andrew's not here. I can make fun now. And so what do the Ninevites do? When they hear this mighty, powerful, all-convicting message, we're told that they respond immediately with repentance. They respond not only with repentance, but in sackcloth and ashes and, and, and fasting and crying out to the Lord. Have a look at Jonah 3, 8 and 9. The king himself, the king of Nineveh, says to the people, but let the people and the animals, not even the people, the animals, those poor suckers, they got to fast and be in sackcloth and ashes. Let them be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So how do the people respond to God? They repent and they turn back to him from this mighty eight-word eloquent sermon of Jonah's. And we're told that when God, Jonah 3, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. When God saw their sincere repentance, he turned and he forgave them. He had love, he had compassion on them. And we know this annoyed Jonah. This irked Jonah. Have a look at Jonah. The story goes on. When God saw that they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Not just wrong, but very wrong. And he became angry. And you've got to stop and go, huh? Why did Jonah get angry? What was causing him to get angry? And this is where the author of the book of Jonah is trying to reveal more than a whale. He's trying to reveal how Jonah's heart was anything but turned towards God's heart. Jonah's heart was the exact opposite. Jonah couldn't follow God's purposes because he didn't have God's heart of love for the people that he was being called to. His feet were following his own heart. And so to Jonah, these enemies, these, these enemies that were bloodthirsty and violent, in Jonah's heart, we're not told this, but I believe he expected God to bring about the consequences that he had preached, total destruction for their wickedness. Jonah wanted them literally <laughs> He wanted destruction. And in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. 
Now, Lord, this is a drama. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than live. I will follow you not. Jonah would rather die. He'd rather die. He'd rather be thrown into a stormy sea. He'd rather get sucked up by a whale and spat out than walk in God's purposes for his enemies to those he didn't like, the Ninevites. And the Lord rebukes Jonah. And he essentially says, Jonah, what's your problem? Jonah, what is going on? And what we see is Jonah, again, couldn't walk in God's purposes because he didn't have God's heart. Because God, where God had love and compassion for the Ninevites, Jonah had hatred and judgment. Where God had mercy and forgiveness for the Ninevites, Jonah had unforgiveness and resentment. And I believe, just like you and I, so many of us, so many of us fail to walk in God's purposes because we fail to have God's heart especially when it's to people we don't like, nations we don't like, people groups we don't like, people that we find so hard to just be around, to bless, to serve, to love. People that we find difficult to extend God's love and forgiveness to. Our feet follow our own heart. And you know, just like Jonah, I can relate. As I was preparing this sermon, I tell you, this you, you, you can't prepare a sermon like this without <coughs> the Spirit putting a spotlight on your own heart. I recognized in my own life, I maybe don't have Ninevites, people who have oppressed me, people who have threatened to skin me alive, but I have people in my own life that, to be honest, whether intentionally or unintentionally, they've hurt me, or I've taken offense by something they said, by something they did, by the way they look, by the way they act. Even sitting here, some of you who don't know me, we make judgments of people, and we put them in a box, and we go, yeah, I don't like that person. I don't really like that person. And so what starts to happen is we start to get little Ninevites inside of us. People that we would rather avoid at all costs to run away from, to judge and to criticize than to walk in God's love and God's forgiveness. And I want to tell you, I can relate I'm a pastor and, you know, I used to be a missionary and I like to think, oh, I love everybody and everybody loves me. But I tell you, that's dreaming. That's not true. And I believe this morning that God wants to do heart surgery, that God wants us to follow after his, his heart, which means we need his heart. Otherwise, our feet will always follow our own heart. And often it's away from God's purposes. I believe God wants to do what the prophet Ezekiel talked about. 
Ezekiel tells us that God wants to give you a new heart. He wants to put a new spirit in you. He says, I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I believe this morning for some of us sitting here, for us to walk fully in the purposes of God, the call of God on our life, we need our hearts, this heart of stone, this heart of judgment, this heart of criticism, this heart of dislike for certain people or, or people that we would rather, to be honest, avoid. We don't want to bless them. We don't want to love them. These people that we almost see as Ninevites in our own life, this little Jonah inside of us that would rather run in the opposite direction than follow God's heart to that person. I believe this morning God wants to replace that heart of stone and he wants to give us his heart, a heart that reaches out to people that takes the extra step towards people. And I want to tell you this morning, as you allow the Spirit to do a, a heart inventory, as it were, a heart stock take, to say, Lord, is there a person, an unreconciled relationship, a broken relationship, someone who I just avoid at work or at school or or at the gym or wherever it is, someone in my family that just annoys me and I just, oh. I believe God wants to do surgery because that is, that is an indication that something's not right in our heart. That something needs to be shifted. And I believe this morning that God wants to shift our hearts that God wants us to have a heart that says, Lord, I will follow you, follow you no matter what you say. Holy Spirit, that I will follow you when you prompt me to, to encourage someone, to, to pray for someone, to bless someone, to forgive someone. And for some of us, there's a wrestle that's going on, a wrestle inside, a fight within. That just that picture that comes to mind of that person. They've hurt us or they've intentionally or unintentionally abused us. We don't trust them. We don't, we don't even like them. That for some of us here this morning, God is saying, I want you to take the first step. And in that wrestle, in that fight within, He's saying, I want to give you a new heart, a heart of forgiveness, a heart of, of, of love, of blessing. Now, I'm not suggesting forgiveness is this easy thing and, you know, I forgive you and suddenly I feel no more. No, but to take away the sting that says, I forgive you, so that when we see that person, we're not like Jonah going, okay, you know, I forgive you, but really you deserve wrath and punishment. He wants to take that away from us. 
that this morning God is calling us to step out and for him to change our heart. And for others of you, I invite the rest of the team up, the worship team, for others of you, God is calling you to go, to physically go to the place he is calling you to. And maybe it's too risky. Maybe it's, maybe it's a hard place. Maybe it's a scary place. Maybe it's not gonna be that comfortable. And in many ways, again, we just can't seem to, to go. I wanna suggest it's because we don't have God's heart. And that's what caused people like, like Dan and Kenneth and our Gateway Beyond workers that are working all over the world, in the Congo, in Kenya, in the Middle East, in Papua New Guinea, around the world, locally and globally, Gateway Beyond workers that are simply saying, God, I want your heart to love these people. And that is why they're willing to leave their nets and say, I will follow you, God. I will follow you wherever you may go. It's because they have God's heart. And so this morning, what I want us to do, if God, if His Spirit has been speaking to you about letting go of unforgiveness, about bringing that heart of stone to Him this morning, I want to invite you to stand wherever you are, just to stand this morning if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. And I know he's been speaking to some of you. This message has been such a wrestle for me that this morning I invite you right now just to stand and it's scary. It's kind of like stepping out with the song in the prayer time. Well, what will people think? And everyone will see me. But I wanna invite you to stand this morning. I know there's gotta be at least one person in this room. Just stand right now and allow God to replace that heart of stone with His heart of flesh. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We're a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.